way the House advocates of impeachment proceeded uh, was badly wrong. I think it was impeachment malpractice. You could have been that person providing that testimony. And it would not have made any difference. How can you say that? Because, How do you minds, know? because minds were made up on Capitol Hill. But you, you're also saying, had they looked at, it was too narrow. They were just looking at Ukraine. And they should have looked at all these things that you're outlining in the book. If they didn't know about those things from you, how could they do that? Because a, an impeachment process that was serious and not partisan, like Watergate, would have taken the time to cover all these areas. They failed utterly to accomplish what they wanted. In fact, they made things worse. Okay. He's he's full of crap. He absolutely is full of crap. That's ridiculous. He absolutely I didn't want crap. Trump impeached, and that's ridiculous. Uh, he, he's having it both ways. He's, uh, that's exactly what he's trying to do. Like James Comey uh, originally, and then James Comey realized, I better just pick a side. But uh, Bolton is trying to have it both ways, absolutely, and it's making everybody hate him. Yeah, if they'd known what I'd, I could tell them, they'd have uh, impeached him successfully. Why didn't you tell them? Well, because if they, they didn't want to hear what I would, they subpoenaed you. Well, if they heard what I told them. What? Well, in his new special last night with a very dramatic sounding music in the background, he said <laughs> that Trump's presidency is dangerously damaging and warns that 2020 is the last guardrail to protect the country from him. That's interesting because you stayed there until you got fired. You didn't resign and then immediately go to the media and say, here's the danger we're in. You wait and you, and you certainly didn't show up when people on the other side wanted you to show up to the impeachment hearing. You could have told people then if you thought it was so dangerous. This is the only it's Trump is an existential threat, according to John Bolton, right. could end the country. But I wasn't going to show up and testify to the impeachment thing because I had a book I had to write. It's just, it's so freaking weaselly. Ian Bremmer tweeted out, the bravery, the patriotism, the $2 million advance. (laughs) So John Bolton, fired by the monster that is Donald J. Trump, his possessions in a cardboard box, using an American flag to dab at his tears, shuffled out to the parking lot. His mustache vibrating with anger. Oh, it probably had snot all over it because he was weeping. He gets out to his car, cell phone jingles. It's that big superpower agent who signs all those book deals in D.C., former administration officials, saying, hey, John, we can get you two mil. Oh, did that brighten poor John Bolton's day. And he forgot all about his snot-stained flag and the existential threat that the orange man poses, and he got to work on the rough draft. Oh, please. Yeah, it's so freaking weak. And everybody's calling him on it. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. every. Who's he going to hang out with? I, he's just got to retire to wherever he wants to retire. Some, you know, Bangor, Maine, or 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 uh, the outskirts of Missoula, Montana, and shave the mustache and, and call himself Jack Bolton or something like that. That's the only <laughs> hope he's got. Who's going to be his friend? God, what a weasel! Yeah, it's so weaselly. And this- I hate to think I ever admired the guy. And well, he always struck me as a little hawk, too hawkish. But when he was kicking ass at the UN, I loved his act. But he is his book is now the number one selling nonfiction book of the year so far. So uh, the publishing company is going to get their money. He got his two million dollar advance. I would be shocked if ten percent of the people that buy those books actually read them. It's just if you're in a certain crowd, I'm sure it's very cool to have sitting on your dining room table or whatever mm-hmm. when you have people over. 
Well, if I was the DNC and sitting on a war chest uh, that will eventually be a billion dollars, uh, I would absolutely spend $5 million on buying copies of that book. Get it to the top of the bestseller list, which the New York Times, if you don't know this, it's a combination of sales and how they feel about the book uh, absolutely. that gives it its slot. Uh, if they don't like your book, it'll never appear on the list at all, even if it sells six trillion copies. But uh, there's absolutely value in putting that at the top so everybody talks about it and it's on book. You know, you walk into a bookstore, it's going to be right there, front and center. I mean, piles and piles of copies. And the DNC and the uh, Biden administration will buy them up. God, I, I, these people have no shame, though. They have no freaking shame. No. How can no. you go on TV? I'm looking at Good Morning America, Bolton. An explosive interview. ABC had a special interview with them last night. How can you go on TV and with a straight face and with great, you know, uh, drama say Trump is an existential threat and he cannot be, be here for four more years and and not get how people look at you? Yeah. Or, or not. Well, they're, they're he, in gets, a- he gets it. He's a smart guy. How can you not care that everybody's looking at you? Right, left, and center saying, you're a freaking weasel doing this for the money. If you cared, you would have said something a long time ago. While you were still in office, you would have resigned in protest if you thought it was so horrible. To quote one of our favorite and most devastating parts of Mark Leibovich's fabulous book, This Town, uh, John Bolton's in on the joke. The joke that they're patriots, that they care. You can't imagine the cynicism of Washington, D.C., that is so freaking I mean, there, weak. There is an explanation of how can Bolton do this in this way, because he doesn't care. He thinks it's all a joke. And the whole, and again, you should read, the, the again, the name of the book is This Town by Mark Leibovich, but they talk about how your hardcore lefty, uh, super heavyweight political, act, not activists, but uh, functionaries, you know, your uh, your campaign directors and your your famous guys who are on cable news all the time. They all hang out together. They're all buddies. Their kids go to the same schools. They hang out at the same po- cocktail parties. They just sell you the R versus D thing uh, for a living. And I think Bolton has some principles in terms of foreign policy, but you see how cynical he is by all this stuff. So I came across this story. Oh, I got to get to the dang mastodons. Yeah, we gotta well, get to I'll still things. be dead next segment, right? Professor who told student to anglicize her name placed on leave. Oh, well, that's crazy. Well, listen to the example. This is from NBC News. If the, 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 the teacher apparently said, because somebody got a tape of it, if I lived in Vietnam and my name in your language sound like eat a D, but they actually said it, I would, I would, I would change it to avoid embarrassment. The, the instructor allegedly wrote, oh, wrote it. I, I would. If my name meant eat uh, <clears throat> what you said in a foreign language, yes, I would change it. Of course I would. So I mean, either that or that? I'd start a nightclub act. Should get fired for that, or are you doing somebody a favor? Hey, I don't know if, any, if you know this, but your name pronounced correctly in our language sounds like something you, you wouldn't want to say. What was the name? In company. I'm not going to say it out loud. Imagine it sounds exactly like E to D. Okay. All right. I'll trust your judgment on this. I am curious, though. That uh, Listen, and we're not going to go all outrage. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not talking to you. We're not talking to you. We're talking <laughs> to the bellboys, the little freaks who bring your bags up to the room. <laughs> Here is a Michigan State University vice president of research ousted because of his past scientific statements. But these highly scientific, 
undisputed stories, or studies rather, they ruffled some feathers. And so he was ousted from his position, even though all of the science was documentably sound, but the conclusions offended people. So we can get to that story at some point. He's been canceled. We still have to play Trump coming down the ramp from the rally the oh, other yeah, night. Oh, yeah, let's do that next. Um, it's yeah. it's, it's hilarious. Odd. It's Trumpalicious. That's what it is. <laughs> that might be a word that's just been invented. That should be a word. I mean, how do you describe it? It's... It's odd. You can't believe the guy's the president. It's funny. It's probably not doing him any good. It's bizarre. It's a good, solid shot at the media. It's all those things. Trumpalicious. Armstrong and Getty. If I was going to sum up in one word what I did for... So if I was going to sum up in several words what I did for Father's Day, wouldn't I be kind of charming, nice? But if I had to sum it up in one word, I'd hmm. say eat. What did oh you do boy. for Father's Day? Eat. Yeah. I want to talk about Father's Day in a little bit, and, and fathers in general. Hope everybody had a good one. Uh, 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 Friday? Was it Friday? Yes, it was Friday. I uh, almost died. But it would have been a death so hilarious and ironic it might have been worth it. Wow. Hey, yeah. that's a, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. In, you know, fact, he's dead, re- but... in retrospect, there's part of me that regrets surviving. Do they ever say <laughs> that at a funeral? You know, he's gone, but it was worth it. It's really I mean, funny. The story we'll all have for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to die a caveman death. This is more like a New Yorker cartoon death. <laughs> so stay tuned for that if you dare. <laughs> So Trump had a rally in Tulsa on Saturday. We were talking a little bit earlier about how um, the crowd was sparse, but there's a reason for that. There was this TikTok group and a K-pop band and everything that got involved in manipulating the tickets. It's really quite the interesting story of they basically trolled a Trump rally and had an effect on the number of people that showed up. Well, we had folks email us say, I got my pass, but I know I'll never get in or I'm not going to go. It'll be too crowded. So because, it worked. Because, yeah. <laughs> because of anyway. the story that there were like a million requests. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm sure they'll figure that out for uh, both campaigns. will have to figure that out to stay one step ahead of the trolls for uh, coming. Sure. But anyway. And I don't want to let CNN and company off the hook for saying the Trump uh, rally poorly attended. Biden struggles to draw 100 people. Come on now. Uh, but Trump did do his thing in front of 6,200 people. Here's some of it. I've got myself a problem, General, because I'm wearing leather bottom shoes, which is good if you're walking on flat surfaces. It's not good for ramps. And if I fall down, look at all those press back there. Look at that. And this was a steel ramp. You all saw it because everybody saw it. This was a steel ramp. It had no handrail. It was like an ice skating rink. I said, General, there's no way I can make it down that ramp without falling on my ass, General. <laughs> I have no railing. We finally reached almost the end. And the fake news, the most dishonest human beings, they cut it off. You know why? Because when I was 10 feet short, I said, General, I'm sorry. I'm, and I ran down the rest, right? 
I looked very handsome. That, that was the only good thing. I said to our great first lady, I said, let me ask you a question. Was it that good, the speech, that I'm trending number one? Because I felt it was really good. No, no, they don't even mention the speech. They mention the fact that you may have Parkinson's disease. Some, <laughs> some fair journalists have said that was among Trump's better speeches that he's ever given, but it got no attention because of the whole hashtag ramp gate, which is... You know, oh, the speech at West Point. I thought yeah. you meant that speech there. No, no, no. The speech at West say, Point. I, I think he's no, 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 right. no, no. Okay, no. Yeah. the speech at West Point, which mm-hmm. was a pre-written, read off a teleprompter speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only, the only attention that came out of that speech was uh, he is walking very gingerly down the ramp. He's <laughs> got a disease. He's I'm going to fall old. on my ass, General. <laughs> Unique character, I'd say. And then the whole staining his tie with water screed. We'll have to play that again for you later if you haven't heard it. Yeah, yeah, very funny. Fortnite, the incredibly popular video game, has removed police cars from the game out of sensitivity to something, something, something. I wouldn't say it's a political statement, said a person involved in the game's development. And this is from the Wall Street Journal. It's just us being sensitive about the issues many people in our audience are dealing with. So you can't even have police cars in the game. And you can't use They don't do anything. They're just background. Well, did you see... I the tw- company that has it is valued at $15 billion. Woo! Did you see I tweeted out a picture of Yosemite Sam from the new Looney Tunes? So there's the original Looney Tunes you grew up with. Then there was a new Looney Tunes a couple of years ago, which are freaking hilarious. Oh, okay. Uh, those are great. Uh, Bugs and Daffy live in an apartment together and have girlfriends, and their redneck neighbor is Yosemite Sam in like a, <laughs> a suburban neighborhood, and it's really just, it's, it's really well written and funny. But anyway, the new new, the latest new, that's the one that everybody was talking about. Elmer Fudd doesn't have a gun. Well, I watched some with my kids, which they hate, by the way. They don't like them. Mm. So n- nobody seeing something. That's like a tree falling in the forest thing, right? No, people are. My, I was telling my kids, my dad watched the original Looney Tunes when he was a kid. Yeah, yeah. and then I did, and then you did. <laughs> Nobody's going to be watching these because you hate them. <laughs> Nobody will see them. Yeah. So, what have you accomplished, you freaking morons, by eliminating Elmer Fudd's gun? But you, somebody Sam doesn't have guns. He just has bare hands, and he just points in the air. So they have him doing the same thing because they feel like. New children being introduced to the character need to see him going like this, pointing in the air for some reason. Because he likes to point at the sky. But he has no guns. And What the, the hell? Of course, there's all kinds of uh, studies out there showing that his guns led to... No! There's freaking nothing! <laughs> zero! Right. Zero evidence that, that, that there's one person that's ever been even slightly harmed... By Yosemite Sam we're from just, the Looney Tunes. We're not comfortable having our character wield firearms. But this is how, this is how right insane message. we are. We're crazy. We've gone crazy. We've gone crazy. I would agree. That is mental illness. Well, I almost checked out of the entire thing, Jack. It's Friday, playing in a golf tournament. We get to the clubhouse of this uh, lovely golf course. They got the hand sanitizer outside. They ask you to take a little squirt and wash your hands when you walk in. You had a big drink of it? Uh, as I always do, because mm-hmm. I, I was out of bleach, which is my usual golf course drink to keep the COVID <laughs> out of me. But So I sanitize my hands. Uh, my partner and I um, uh, walk in. We check in, the rest of it, and 
and we're we're walking out and um and uh, and he, he points out oh there's this scoreboard where uh, they're going to post the scores and stuff like that and I'm looking at who's in our flight and all and but well, we got to get we got to get to the driving range to get loose and so I start to walk away I turn and I trip over the hand sanitizer machine and almost plunge down the stairs to my death almost killed during the covid crisis by a hand sanitizer machine that would be a pretty ironic death almost went headlong how close did you come i saved myself because i'm nimble as a minx as you know but uh, (laughs) that's what people say if they're gonna describe joe in one word nimble nimble right yeah yeah but i I, like i i righted myself and before i plunged down these stone steps i mean it would have given me a good battering but uh uh, my buddy Brian thought that was a very funny way to go. Would that have been considered a COVID-related death? Probably I, it would for have the, to be. For the statistics, it would be. It would Absolutely, it would have to be. Oh, he died of the COVID? Well, no, no. Not tripped precisely. over a hand sanitizer, but that's right. COVID-related. Exactly. Why wasn't he watching where he was going? Yeah, you'd have to know him. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a wonder he made it as long as he did, really. <laughs> yeah, we'll play the uh, Trump tie thing from his rally, among other things. Oh, it's worth got, hearing. Yeah. That we've got coming up. And Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Our main story tonight concerns the coronavirus. You know, the thing you have to regularly convince your parents still exists. Oh, you went to a Shoney's, did you? Who else was there? The whole town? Wow. Please stay inside, you extremely fragile maniacs. Oh, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> that's, that's not fair. Did Imagine see? that. John Oliver being unfair. Hmm? Did, did you see Eskimo Pies are going to drop their derogatory name? I did see that. Oh, all right. Um, what one- are they going to call them? Inuit cakes or walrus patties or, uh, I don't know, blubber biscuits? Indigenous, peop- <laughs> Indigenous people's yummitons. Frozen blubber biscuits. <laughs> um, well, so Chaz continues. Jazz. It st- Jazz still exists now. A couple weeks in, you got people took over a segment of a major city in the world. Made the police precinct close down and just are staying there because what's it like there? Freedom. It's a great feeling to do what you want to do, be what you want to be. Do what you want to do. Chaz. Chaz. Sorry, you were saying? Over the weekend, this headline, one dead and one injured after gunfire in Seattle's autonomous zone. <laughs> Medics in the protester-run zone treated the victims before they were transported to a hospital. Some protesters objected to the arrival of officers in riot gear. There are tapes you can watch of that. People screaming at the police who showed up just outside. The uh, The firefighters didn't go in because they said, we're not going to go in unless there's police there. They're not allowed to. And police aren't allowed, and the police aren't where they weren't going to allow police in without there being a riot. So the police didn't go in. So you had a guy who has medical training who happened to be on the scene who dealt with the dude who got shot. And what the dust up is over. A couple of people got shot. Yeah. But, yeah. but the guy who died, um, uh, what the dust up is over seems to be unclear. I've seen uh, conflicting stories on that. But anyway, dude shoots another dude. The medic there tried to, you know, to deal with it, but he needed real 
care. Right. And the uh, firefighters couldn't, well, the first responders couldn't get in. And now, and they were being screamed at by protesters. Why don't you help them? Go in there and help them. And we said, we're not allowed to without the cops who you're keeping out. Big scandal. The useless governor, Jay Inslee, said the future of the protest zone is up to the city. His role is to give support. Clearly, we need to have a way to provide adequate police and fire protection everywhere in the state of Washington, including in that area. So he's kind of saying, this can't last, but he's way too much of a noodle spine to actually say that out loud. That was quite a scene, though. Yeah. You know, I I predicted somebody would be dead before too long, and, you know, it took a few more days than I predicted, but there it is. Apparently some guy was wielding a big old knife, and then people started shooting each other. Craziness. Chaz. Uh, to give you an idea of how the, the dundy stuff that's flying around on social media, so as mentioned earlier, some of my favorite, like, calm, reasonable voices out there in podcasts are worried that we're close to coming off the rails in a way we can't fix. And they all point to social media as being like the uh you know the igniter and the 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 real key to things being different now than they've ever been before and uh, as sam harris said in his podcast we all are involuntarily participating in a psychological experiment and i'm not sure that we can handle it hmm. um i'm not sure we can either um or just you know bide time to the next generation who grew up with this stuff either ignores it or I don't know yeah, how to deal with been, it. We've been poisoning their minds in in public schools and universities. So I'm not sure that generation is going is going to be up for the job. But the way in that the way that it could be so damaging is if the next generation just decides and I think this is where well, it's practically where I am now. You can't believe anything. Well then they're just there are no there are no shared facts. Mm-hmm. And which means there are no facts and then you can't run a society like that. Right. Because you get, you know, if you if you've got a big chunk of the country who thinks white police officers are hunting black men, and then you have another part of the country, correctly by the way, looking at statistics to show that that's not even close to true, but doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, just to give you an idea of some of the crazy stuff that's out there, I don't know this person or how influential they are. Somebody on Twitter called Son of Baldwin, and in parentheses it says Robert Jones Jr. They've got a uh, they've got a book coming out with Putnam Books, so I mean they're a big enough deal to have an, a real book published. They have fifty thousand followers on Twitter. Okay. You know that's n- not millions, but it's a decent chunk. But so this is like a real intellectual reporting from Brooklyn. There is yet another night of extremely loud fireworks, starting at eight p.m. and ending at about two a.m. This is the second straight week of this. Every night during the same time period, like clockwork, goes on with more tweets. Last night was the loudest I've ever heard fireworks in my entire life. It sounded like war. Another tweet. The media is reporting this that this is just black and brown kids blowing off steam, but I don't believe that's the case. So this person is saying the media is just saying it's, you know, fireworks. The fireworks it's stands a celebration out. or a Pe- protest. People are buying fireworks and setting them off. Yeah. This son of Baldwin person, who has some following, said, My neighbors and I believe that this is part of a coordinated attack on black and brown communities by government forces, an attack meant to disorient and destabilize hashtag Black Lives Matter. What? Follows up with, my neighbors and I believe, no, I already read that one. Uh, the goal, we think, is multifaceted. One, sleep deprivation is a means to create confusion and stoke tensions between black and brown people. Two, desensitization, desensit- being desensitized, as a means to get us 
used to the sounds of firecrackers and other fireworks that when they start using their real ar- artillery on us, we won't know the difference. It's meant to sound like a war zone because a war zone is what's about to come. Followed by, we think this is a psychological warfare, the first wave before whatever the next stage of attack is. Then finally, we think this because there is no way in the world that young and black brown people would otherwise have access to these professional fireworks. These are Macy's 4th of July level displays and sonic booms that are uh, not available to people. So this person who has 50-some thousand followers and a book coming out from a you know one of your top-tier publishers spreading that kind of just complete craziness out there. Wow, that's way over the edge. And I have no idea how many people, you know, retweeted that or followed that or whatever. But that stuff exists out there on all sides. I'm not claiming it's just one side by all by any means. But yeah, I mean, that sort of thing. You couldn't get 50,000 people to hear that insane S. Right. Just a few years ago. Right. Yeah. You know, obviously, it's most likely just that the cops have withdrawn and there's lawlessness and people like fireworks. But, uh, you know, I could picture you don't think it's desensitizing black and brown people to the sound of fireworks before you roll in the artillery. No, in the great takeover minorities led by who's leading this and ordering this to happen. I can't imagine. I was thinking the story was going in the other direction, that this son of Baldwin person was going to say it is the far-left activist, because we were talking earlier about the fact that the co-founders of Black Lives Matters, the organization, are Marxists um, by their own description. We're trained Marxists. Um, I thought maybe it was uh, attempting to provoke the police to come to the neighborhood, and then there'd be more violence, because the Marxists want more violence, because they want to end our current system. So it's uh, it's probably just people who like fireworks. But can you imagine fireworks going off through the night every night? That would make you insane. Well, people are fleeing the big cities, uh, even before all this started with the COVID thing, in enormous numbers. Well, that um, reminds me, I was just I was just beginning to read this scholarly study about... Uh, what they call foot voting, how one of the most impactful things people do in a republic or a democracy is is move uh, from one place to another because they don't like the way things are going and how um, you get, you know, your influence in an, any election is tiny as an individual voter. But if you pick up and relocate, you have a much more significant uh, influence. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, and sure enough, yeah, the big blue cities of America are hemorrhaging humans. And that's not a minor decision to make, as we all know. Oh, no, no. It's a big deal. Selling your house, buying another one, starting a new job almost certainly, changing schools for your kids, leaving family and friends. That's a major life decision. Building your compound, going off grid, stockpiling weapons and freeze-dried foods. But my, my Burying my gold in the yard. My serious point before you brought the jocularity to this <laughs> is uh, you got to have some pretty bad push factors. To make you do all that. Sure. I mean, they got to be pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Remember that study in the San Francisco Bay Area that 50% of people were considering moving in the next year? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's has that ever happened in a modern city anywhere in the world? Right. Where half the people are considering moving in the next year. That is a statement of deafening volume, if you know what I mean, and, uh, uh, in much a greater way than if the... Uh, the 65% vote for Democrats fell down to 59%. I mean, that's nice, but, yeah, that's that's an enormous number of people voting with their feet. And as my brother says about the small town he lives in in western Kansas, I don't know one person who's ever contemplated leaving here. So, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, that's quite a difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But none of the push factors there. Well, and again, um, to the funhouse mirror of the nation's media, all of our media, all, all of the voices we hear practically, and social media is part of it, uh, come from major metropolitan areas, blue, big yep. blue cities, which is crazy because that's not our lives, a lot of us. And, and a lot of you who do live in those cities are, uh, are definitely not of the same mindset of the people uh, who are squawking at you through your TV. So we're on your Twitter. We've heard a lot about contact tracing. That's the key to this whole thing, right? Testing I mean, and tracing. Uh, you know, so that that's when you keep you find somebody that's got it, and you trace where they've been, and then you, instead of closing down everything, you can be more pinpoint. Say, hey, notice you're uh, swapping spit with uh, Jones over there. Jones got the vid now, so you got a, a quarantine as well. Well, they started this in New York City, and it's not going well from the beginning. Oh, it's really? Not going to be easy to do. Got more on that coming up. But if you haven't heard a little Donald Trump talking about his tie from the Uh Tulsa rally on Saturday, stay tuned for that. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You had on a very good red tie that's a sort of expensive. It's silk because they, they look better. They have a better sheen to them. And I don't want to get water on the tie. And I don't want to drink much. So I lifted up the water. I see we have a little glass of water. Where the hell did this water come from? Where did it come from? And I looked down on my tie because I've done it. I've taken water and it spills down into your tie. It doesn't look good for a long time. And frankly, the tie is never the same. So I put it up to my lip, and then I say, because I don't want it, just in case. And they gave me another disease. (laughs) They gave me another disease. He takes a drink of water with one hand and tosses the glass to the side. (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. How different is that than the way Hillary handled the whole she could barely get up the stairs and then falling into the van and the rest of it? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. She, Yeah, you turn it into making it a joke on the people who are making those claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywho. Trump and Tulsa. The fact that... I don't think you were here for this part. You were you were, you were gone before we talked to Newt, I think, Newt Gingrich. Yeah, I got all the getting was good. I, I'm so disappointed I missed that, though. Ended up being, um, I know people really liked the last question and answer, but I don't remember what it was. What did I ask him, Hanson? What did I ask Newt Gingrich? Do you remember, Sean? What's what? your favorite kind of pie? <laughs> I did point out that Newt, who was Speaker of the House against Clinton, is still younger than Biden, which made Newt laugh. I got a laugh out of Newt with that. But that is amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> what was my last question for him? We ought to rerun the whole interview. Man, anyway. It was stunning from what I hear. <laughs> Insightful. I don't know about Hard that. Hard-hitting. Um, Do you like a nice sheen on your tie? When was the last time you wore a tie? Oh, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's been a while. I may I... have the most ties... Per annual wearings of ties of any man in America. If I was going to add it up, I've probably worn a tie 
twice in the last five years, and I can't come up with those two. Yeah, I was going to say, I do not wear a tie once a year. Although we do, we have emceed a couple of tuxedo events. But that doesn't count because I didn't wear a necktie. Um, Sean Hansen, Dominic, can anybody tell me what my last question for Newt was? I can't remember. Wake up. (laughs) No, I don't remember what the last one was. We're talking about Trump and. Cut 60. That'll get, that's the answer. Do you see us ever returning to anything even closer to cooperation and bipartisanship? Well, mm. when one side wins. I mean, the reason it's so intense right now is that both sides see themselves almost winning and almost being annihilated. Okay, you can cut it off there. You can cut it off there. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's the thing I thought was really interesting, him saying that because it's so evenly matched. It's going to be when one side finally emerges victorious. And I've, I've heard uh, Jonah Goldberg talk about it. It's like nobody's fighting in musical chairs when there's a bunch of chairs left. When you get down to the last couple of chairs or the last chair, that's when the fights get intense. Hmm. And that's kind of where we are for the, you know, the last voter, the last I'm going to win this battle on everything. The 5-4 decisions, the, the, the 51-49 Senate votes, the everything. Right. Well, and I'd suggest that when you're playing musical chairs, the prize is somebody has crafted a medal out of a paper plate. That says musical chairs champ, or is running the federal government is trillions of dollars that you get to siphon off uh, to your friends and supporters. Yeah. How wild is it that the first time I can ever remember in my life, the incumbent wants more debates and the challenger is fighting to have fewer or none. Right. Have that ever happened? I no, don't remember. Not, it not that ever, I've ever. I, I don't remember ever happening. So Trump, I was reading about it again today, is still arguing for two or three debates, and the Biden camp is arguing for fewer. So for how how many does Biden want? They, I haven't heard him agree to any, but okay. I'm sure he'd have to. Surely he thinks that you have to have a debate. I think the old uh, what was it? What is this organization that sponsors it? The Commission on Presidential Debates. Um, I heard they were pitching the standard three. So and Trump is saying, "Ah, oh, let's do at least that many, maybe six. Oh, no way, Biden's doing no, no way, no, no way. And um, uh, would the media give him a pass on that? So Joe Rogan, one of the most popular podcasts in the world, he said over the weekend, and this this was a trending Twitter thing. Um, he said the media and the Democratic Party are really um not doing their jobs by ignoring the fact that Joe Biden has slipped, that he's slipping." That his faculties are failing. Doesn't fit the narrative. Doesn't and, fit the resistance. And he got killed for that. But I'm not going to start talking about how George Washington is a terrible general in 1778. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I'm invested in the cause. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, he's right. Rogan's absolutely right. But that's where the whole... it's an astonishing oversight. But that way, it really is. It really is. Um, but that's where the debate thing comes in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, a, Biden is and his people, they know exactly what they're doing. We'll a, do one debate, maybe. <laughs> and especially if Trump continues to, uh, you know, be eight to ten points behind. He's got to be thinking, my swinging for the fences is getting him on a stage. Mm-hmm. And just getting him to talk. talk more. Keep talking, Joe. Take your tactics. I mean, it's just, I mean, right. I, I, anyway. Take you, take, hey, Joe, yeah. take your time and some of mine. I'll, exactly. I'll have a succinct answer you. Instead just of answering talking. that question, I'd like Joe Biden to talk more. <laughs> <laughs> just hoping that he has some sort of senior moment where he looks like he couldn't be president. That's wild. What a weird situation. Tough to call. This is going to get more crazy, the, the presidential election, oh, rather than it. less. Stop it. It's got I to. Can't, right? I can't take it. Because that's still hanging out there. Can Joe Biden go up on a stage and talk for 90 minutes? 
he barely made it through a lot of those debates where he only had to talk five of the 90 minutes. How about when he has to talk half the time at least Mm. in a 90-minute debate? What's that going to be like? Or 60-minute debate? Well, and listen, as an analyst, uh, I'm putting on my analyst hat, Trump being Trump, some people are kind of tired of that. Sure. And if he's oh, if he's too Trumpy, you know that might not be good for him. True, that's true. Um, you know, I don't. Well, I I got nothing to say on that. We'll just, <laughs> I'm going to wait I, for it to happen. That, will or won't that debate be the most watched thing in the history of television? It will, absolutely. I, I would miss my own wedding and <laughs> funeral to watch it. I'm so excited about. I'm like a kid thinking about Christmas in November. I've just got to. I got to put it out of my mind. <laughs> and who knows when it's going to happen? Uh, is get a, there a tentative schedule? No, even? no. But when they get enough B12 in Biden and get him up on his feet, <laughs> get him stringing words together, right? Well, get him there, to stay awake for an hour. There will probably be no audience, which is great. Yeah, that's what that's their best angle. That's their best angle is to fight it from the COVID standpoint. It's not healthy to do it this way. How about if we record answers ahead of time or something oh, like that? Stop it! No, you put them both in uh, COVID-proof booths. And then hit them with the hard questions. Armstrong and Getty.